Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits. This is the show where geeks talk about God. My name is Luke Navarro. And I'm a meat popsicle. <laughs> are, are we, like, recording outside today? We're doing, no, uh, we might as well. Game Store Profits al fresco. Oh, uh, we might as well. It's stinking cold here. Some of us aren't as in, you know, in the luxury of living in California where it's still warm, you jerk. It is it is lovely weather. That said, we're all about to die of thirst. So we'll there come are here trade-offs. come here and melt our snow and we'll all be happy. There you go. See? You know, we just need to get put it in some trucks and drive it across the country. Apparently it's chilly where you are. Uh yeah, so Mike, you're uh you're braving the weather. Are you are you like wrapped in parkas and you know, various uh, electronic heat sources? Are you sitting on top of your PC? Well, let's see. I'm currently in my office, which, oddly enough, is the only room in the apartment that doesn't have a space heater or some form of heating device in it. So this is, you know, how much I love you guys. Yeah, otherwise there's an electronic fireplace. My dog has his own heater, and we have one in the bedroom. And it's still... Okay, so I would just like to point out that if you were to run an electric heater in California for any length of time, more than like a half an hour, you'd go broke. Because the amount of of electrical cost for that, it must they must offset it in some way for those of you out in the frozen tundra. Because like we can't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, if we didn't do that stuff, people would die. So I'm thinking yeah, so they there must, must make there must be some sort of... Uh, <laughs> balancing system or maybe you guys are just used to giant power bills but uh you know though it is a, it actually i mean in a way this does apply we're not just randomly chatting about the weather no but at this time of year people play more games because it's cold outside <laughs> yes all, all the gaming groups that died because of the the holiday season are now coming out of the shadows and trying to rekindle the gaming fire Sometimes, literally. Sometimes, literally. (laughs) All right, well, you know, this wasn't a good game. Toss it in. (laughs) (laughs) I got bored with uh, that one. I need heat. Well, speaking of gaming groups, I know that you have been working on putting together a gaming group. How is that going? It's going well. Right now, we're kind of in the, the very beginning of things, and it feels like it's in the very beginning of things. We had three people come out uh, to hang out with my wife and I to uh, our first session. And oddly enough, the Super Bowl may or may not conflict with our next one. Uh, but I think I think it's going to go well overall. We got a bunch of people that are excited to come play. It was funny. We did have to deal with... Normally, we wanted to keep this very limited because my wife is not super not super excited about big crowds. So here okay. I am saying, open, you know, fling open the doors wide and all who want to can come. And my wife is like, if you do that, I will hurt you. I know where you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we limited it. And my buddy's like, hey, I probably won't be able to come out that much unless my girlfriend's invited. So we're like, okay. <laughs> well, it's an interesting point that you bring up because our gaming group, uh, you know, we talked about last week on the show has we've been uprooted, and and actually our gaming group is interesting because we live in a military area, and so a lot of the group, you know, they transition a lot. It's just something military folks do, right? But 
we've got a lot of people in this group. There's 18, 20 people every time we get together. Oh, trust me. And getting this list, like I, I joke about the whole, you know, we had to let her in. Like, I, I, I'm a real big fan of my buddy's girlfriend. She's a really, really sweet girl, and we're happy to have her in the group. The but there's like there's certain there's almost like numbers that are good. Right. Like you don't want to have six people at your gaming group. This is this has seriously been like a flashback to a year and a half ago, almost two years, when my wife and I were putting together our wedding invite list. <laughs> because at some point, we literally started having conversations like, oh, oh, he'd be really fun. Oh, uh, I don't think he can make it. Okay, she'd be really cool in the group. Yeah, but if we invite her, we've got to invite her brother and sister, and we just can't have that many people. Right. <laughs> But, you know, there's so much practicality about that. Well, one, I mean, you have a space and you have to be able to fit in the space. But say, you know, for us, there's 20 of us. You know, there's probably six or eight of us that are there all of the time. Maybe more than that, maybe 10 or 12. And, but, you know, I've been part of this group for like two years. And so I tend to play with the people that I've been playing with for forever. And, and yeah, we play and new people come in and all of that. And that's great. But... Now we've got three or four different tables going at at any given time. It does get a little bit complex, and uh, that's okay. But again, you know, like I said, you would never want a game group with six people in it because how many games can play six people? Uh, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to have uh, two groups of three playing games. That that's awkward. Yeah, our so, our first our first session was five, and I'm like, these are my games for five, and right. they're like. Don't you have like fifty games? I go yes. These are my games for five. <laughs> and there was only, there was like half a dozen games on the table. And so in a way, I think it's really a good idea to be like, okay, look, there's this like small group of us. We get together and play games. And right now, it's probably not a best idea to invite other people. Now, of course, our group is different because we're a public group, right? You know, we we're, are not. we're on meetup and and like you, you're just friends getting together in a house that already know each other. We there's new people every week that we don't know. And um, that's the way we designed the thing. And I didn't design it. Uh, someone else did. But um, it's great, you know. Uh, but I think it's important that you know what you're about. Right. And stick to that. Well, even even in the article I wrote for the site about setting up your game group, one of the first things I say is understand what you want this group to be about. Right. Because we want it to be, this is us. We when my wife and I put this together, we said for some practical reasons, we only, you know, our apartment is only so large. We wanted to keep the numbers small for that. And also because we really want this group to grow together. We want this group right. to know each other and to, to grow together. Like we're not looking for, Hey, just fling wide the doors. We're looking for real growth to happen here. And we're, we're pretty much establishing that right from the get-go. So while, granted, some people will come more often than others, and there'll be sure, reasons not to come, but we want there to be that core group. And at the same time, figured that we wanted to get around the eight or nine level because that right. way, if somebody can't Perfect. come, we still have enough people to play. Right. And it's not just me trying to grab the one person who showed up and teach them Netrunner. Yeah, I think you want five or less or eight to ten. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Uh, if you're going to have a in-your-house kind of a group. Uh, so, okay, so you said you had your first meeting. What would you guys play? 
We played we played Munchkin. Okay, perfect for a first meeting. Right, it really no, actually, is. Actually, though, I think sometimes Munchkin... Did, did it go well? Sometimes I've tried to teach Munchkin to new new gamers, people who've never gamed before, and they found it a little complex. How did it work for you? Here's, here's how Munchkin goes for me. It's really funny because in light of the site and what we're trying to do and everything like that, like, we're not a review show... But as we've cited over and over again, we watch a lot. We do research by watching game reviews, pretty much. And all these reviewers that I'm watching, not just one, like all of them, like hate Munchkin. Because when I really started to look at it, Munchkin in and of itself is is kind of silly in the fact that it's just, I pick up a card, I play this card. I can now kill this monster or not. Your turn. Like... <laughs> At its core, it's not really strategy. It's a collection of silliness. It, yeah, right. It's in order to fight game. silliness, it's a fun game, right? So right. you have to go into Munchkin with that attitude. If you're looking for a deep game, Munchkin will destroy your mind. Absolutely. So I walked in. And I said, "Look, this is going to make fun of everything gaming." This is going to. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, here's the bottom line with Munchkin, right? If you don't chuckle at Horny Helmet, don't play Munchkin. Yes. This is true. This is very, very true. Now, and what was really fun was that for me, Munchkin isn't Munchkin unless you're in each other's faces. If you're playing nice, you're not playing Munchkin. Oh, you can't play Munchkin. For those of you who who may who might not know, which probably is a very small number of you, because Munchkin has been around forever in like eight. And we've talked about versions. it on the show before, but we have. But it's it's good to bring it up again. Munchkin, basically, you are all playing as guys going through a dungeon, kicking in doors, and dealing with whatever's there. And you're collecting equipment and stuff like that to destroy these epic monsters. All the while, you're trying to make sure that every other adventurer that comes with you does not get to steal the loot that is rightfully yours. So, at one point, I played one of my favorite cards to play on others, and one of my least favorite cards to have played on me. And I, I, I had it in my hand from the very beginning of the game, and I said, you know what? Two of us are learning. Two of us have never played this game before. <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy. We're just, I'm going to let, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hold on to it, and it's going to be fine. Well, after a while, one of the new guys says, hey, Mike, here's a curse. You lose your armor. And I literally looked at him, and I said, all right, it's on. <laughs> and I dropped... I dropped the Curse of Income Tax. The I don't curse think I remember what that one is. The Curse of Income Tax, basically you get rid of an item. Everyone else is required to get rid of the gold value of that item. Like, equal or lesser value, or equal right. or greater value than what you just dropped. So if you drop an item that's worth a thousand gold, everybody has to get rid of a thousand gold of items, or they lose a level. Needless to say, this was fairly early in the game, and I dropped an item that was 800 gold. Ouch. Everyone at the table then swore vengeance against me. (laughs) Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Exactly, and that's when I explained to the new people, I said, now we're playing Munchkin. Before, we were just teaching you. Now we're playing Munchkin. (laughs) All right. So, uh, So that's good, though. People were able to grok kind of what was going on and the whole, like... When do you knock down doors, and when do you uh, go looking for trouble, and when do you... It was it was a little rough around the edges, but yeah, but I think we, we kind of nailed it by the time we were done. And then after that, nice. we went to more of a lighter game because it was getting late in the evening, and we played Dixit, which is always fun. 
wow, there could not be two more diametrically right? opposed games. Right? Right. Well, like hey, a total. I was working with five people. There are only so many games that work well with five people. Total tongue in cheek, uh, crass humor, and then like elegant beauty and art. Yeah. Uh, juxtaposed. So uh, I can imagine just knowing you and the kind of people you hang out with, Dixit was probably a pretty good deal. Well, I, I think both went very well, but yeah, it was Dixit was definitely more of a, a welcome thing, whereas Munchkin was like, "What's that?" <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you, I've been busy playing games this last couple of weeks uh, since You've the last. Been playing time a lot recorded. of games. I've been playing a lot of games. Uh, I've also been playing a lot of iOS games. I've been. Uh, that's about it. iOS. Oh, and Hearthstone, of course. Uh, I'm a Hearthstone addict at this and point. It's, and it's open beta now. It is open beta, so come play with us, people. Maybe I'll have to update yeah. the contact sheet to have our Hearthstone tags on it. <laughs> I don't even know what mine is. It's annoying. They had the stupid number at the end. You can never remember it anymore. But uh, I have been playing a lot of board games since that's what this show is about. Um, let's see. I've played Mice and Mystics, which I've been wanting to play for a really long time. Uh, I got it for Christmas. And... Uh, you know, it's the it's the middle of January at this point, and we broke it out, and we played for a couple of days through... We're still on the first mission, which technically you're supposed to play through a full mission in one game, but there's no reason to, necessarily. You don't have to. It's pretty easy to... If you stop at the end of a tile, it's pretty easy to freeze the game state and pick it up another time. To let find me, that, me, just, that reasonable place to stop and come right, back. Right, let me let me just jump in though and, and explain what Mice and Mystics is, just in case folks don't know. Uh, Mice and Mystics is a role-playing type board game. It's a cooperative game uh, where you are playing as a prince and his friends that have been turned into mice. Or actually, they've turned themselves into mice uh, in an attempt to... Uh, save the king and, of course, save the kingdom from an evil witch who has uh, bewitched the king, uh, tricked him into falling in love with her, and is now taking control of the kingdom. I didn't realize it was a self-inflicted mousing. Yes, uh, and that's uh, part of the prelude. That's what's one of the things that's interesting about this game, is uh, it doesn't play the same each time. You're playing through a campaign, and there is a story that goes along with the campaign. So you'll start off by reading the prelude, and then each game session, you're playing a chapter in the story. It starts off with a a text block of the story, and it's a cute little fairy tale, red wall, mouse guard type story. And sometimes during the game, depending on if you trigger certain things happening, uh, there may be some more story bits happening along the way. So you play as mice... Uh, there's uh, kind of various classes, and several of the mice are actually dual class, uh, but they are pre-rolled characters. And uh, you move through the game, and depending on the chapter, you'll use certain tiles in certain orders. Uh, You have to explore through those tiles. Uh, Again, sometimes there are set monsters. Sometimes the monsters are random, based on this page mechanism as you move through the pages of the chapter uh, in the game. And a- as you move along, you uh, you fight monsters, uh, you gain equipment, you gain levels, uh, and also you gain cheese. 
Cheese is sort of the currency in the game. You can use cheese to level up. You can use cheese to use special abilities. Uh, But also the bad guys gain cheese, and as they gain cheese, the chapter, or the page, moves forward. And if you get to... uh, Each chapter has an end page. And if you don't accomplish the mission, by the time they get to that end page, uh, game is over. You lose. Wow. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, And I'll tell you what... Uh, we haven't even finished the first chapter yet, but I don't think we're going to win. The bad guys have uh, acquired a bunch of cheese, is what you're saying? Yeah, and uh, and also if you die, you don't die. You're you're called captured, which means you're basically out of the game until the room is cleared. Uh, but any every character that dies or is captured moves the page up one as well. Wow! So it is. It's a it's a cooperative game, a lot like many of the cooperative games we talked about in this show. And and really, the only way to make a cooperative game good is to make it hard. Right. And this game is hard. There's no doubt about it. Um, so I'm playing with my wife and kids. My kids are eight and ten. Oh, uh, okay. Because I was I was wondering when you started saying we're you know I'm playing mice and mystics. I didn't know if this was a you're playing with your game group and your buddies or if you were playing with your girls. Yeah, and uh, so it took... The first adventure uh, is three tiles, and the tiles are double-sided. Um, so you they, there's a kind of a mechanism where you can't get to the next tile unless uh, the doorways align, and they don't necessarily align on each level. One, uh, one side of the tile uh, is uh, above ground, so to speak, and the other side of the tile is underground so to speak. Um, And so we have played through two and a half tiles at this point. I would say the first time we played, we played, it was about an hour long, and we played through one complete tile. And while we were doing that, there was a lot of my wife and kids, and even myself, trying to figure out what the heck's going on here. (laughs) How many dice do I roll? Oh, man, I forgot to add my armor to my roll this time. Uh, What happens if I get cheese right now versus cheese later? And and all... Because it's... It's a really rules-intensive game for a board game. But if you were to say it's an RPG, it's a really rules-light game. You kind of get what I'm saying there? It's like... In terms of having to understand the mechanics... It's way harder than most board games, but it's way less than most RPGs. Okay, um, it fits that awkward middle. Yeah, it's kind of in the middle, right? And But by the time we played our second game, we were on the second tile. So the second tile was much harder than the first tile, and my wife and kids decided to take the side quest that was available, and the side quest was just, let's just put it this way, the cat shows up, okay? Oh, the cat in this game is like the equivalent of a dragon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, um, so, but but we really understood what we were doing. We were thinking about strategy at this point. What are our mice good at and things like that? And so we'll get to the, uh, when we finish off this chapter, I don't know, if we fail the chapter, I'll give my kids the cha- opportunity to say, do we want to do it again, or do we want to move on to the next chapter? Well, you got to uh, allow. We, yeah, you got to allow for the we're learning round, right? But either way, so you can play the game two ways. You can play each chapter as kind of an individual thing, 
or you can play as a campaign where you take some of your gear and your abilities and things like that along with you from and and also some uh, achievements and things like that from game session to game session and that's what we're going to do but i think even win, win or lose after this first one i'm going to kind of allow everybody to do a character reset to reselect their abilities now that we know what the game's about and <laughs> now that you know, know what, what the abilities, abilities actually do right and and how important they were like my daughter got one for cure poison well there's not a whole lot of poison in the game we didn't know that at the time you know and so we'll let her reselect those things and uh and uh you know if they want to maybe try out a different character we'll let them do that and and uh you know so i think I think we're going to have a whole lot of fun with it. We've been having a lot of fun with it the last couple of times, and especially this last time that we played through. Um, you know how it is as you get closer and closer to the end point, and it looks like, oh, I'm not going to make it, and then you do something, oh, we made it, yay, and then, you, oh, no, it looks like we're not going to make it again. Uh, it's the great, <laughs> that's the great thing about cooperative games. So uh, a lot of fun and uh, beautiful, beautiful game. Uh, the tiles are awesome uh the minis are awesome you know the minis are are totally worthy of any role-playing game minis for sure you know and uh so i'm excited i i really hope we'll be able to get through this i want to do the downloadable chapters that plat hat has to offer i want to get get the the heart of glorm or whatever it is yeah yeah i mean i i'll wait to shill out the money before uh until we finish this, of course, or at least till we get close to it. But, I mean, it's a lot of fun, and, and a great... I mean, it's like a role-playing game, which is cool, and I think a good experience for my kids. I think a real good intro to role-playing games, in a way. Oh, I, I totally equated it to playing HeroQuest with my dad and it's, my brothers. It's a lot like HeroQuest. It's, it's this generation's like HeroQuest. Hero yeah, Absolutely. So, I played Mice and Mystics, and how about for a completely different type of game uh, called Garden Dice. Have you ever heard of Garden Dice? I've never even... Like, like normally when you mention a game and I haven't played it, I can go, oh yeah, I've, I've heard of that, I just don't know anything. I've never heard of Garden Dice. It's really good. Really? Because really it good. sounds awful. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> and, uh... I, I thought it was hilarious because on my way to board game night, I stopped at Home Depot and bought a bunch of stuff for my garden this year. Were you buying props? <laughs> and, and and we get to game night and he's like, let's play garden dice. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, what garden dice is, it's a six by six grid and you each turn you roll four dice. Uh, there are seeds. Uh, valued one through five, and you roll your dice. You can use your dice to do various things, but basically it's buy seeds. So if you roll, say, a four, you can buy a seed valued at four or below. If you want to buy one with your four, you could do that. You can plant your seeds, which you requires using two dice, one for each portion of the grid. It's a six-by-six six grid. So you use, say you got a five and a two, you can put it at two-five or five-two on the grid. Uh, you can water your plants, which turns the seed into a plant, into a, a vegetable, or you can harvest, which sc- 
scores your vegetables. What makes the game interesting is that there's a cascade system. So let's say you put down your five and your the next player puts a four next to yours. Well, when you water your five, the water goes downhill, so to speak, to the four. And to any, it'll continue to cascade to any number that's adjacent and below it. And you do the same thing with harvesting. Now, there's a couple other things you can throw in there. Some uh, You can throw in a, a little animal that will uh, uh, eat seeds, things like that. Um, but basically, it's set collection. Uh, if you can get one through five, you get a certain amount of points. If you get multiples of any uh, number, you get a certain amount of points. At the end of the game, when all of the seeds are, are taken up, uh, you score the game. And it seems like a really simple kind of a thing. But it turns out that it is absolutely a brain burner. You, you spend so much time trying to figure out, okay, where can I place this thing to take advantage of the Cascades? And so this simple little game with this ridiculous theme of gardening, and uh, it turns out to be really, really fun. Did I lose you along the way there again? <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to get it off. Like, you're not kidding, it's a brain burner. Just hearing you describe it, I'm like, I put the what in the where, and it does what now? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean... I have a funny feeling it would be significantly easier to understand if I had it it's in not. front of me. Okay, it's not hard to understand, but, I mean, basically it's, you buy a seed, you water it, and you harvest it. But because of this whole cascade system that happens, it uh, it means that you may, if you're not careful, you're going to end up harvesting points for the other guy rather than for yourself. Ah. And so it becomes very strategic. And then there are certain points that are certain plots higher up. So let's say the 6-6 six, six plot is worth double points if you plant on that one. So, of course, everybody wants to go for that one. And, and uh, you know, you might water in a certain place to block their harvest so they can't you know it's very intricate and yet it's cute i mean and it's so called it's garden funny dice. that way <laughs> yeah it's garden dice so i uh, didn't didn't know anything about it sat down to play it i really enjoyed it it's a lot too complex for my family but i think a really good game group game um so after that i know i'm sorry you guys I, i've played a lot of games this week uh, I played Smash Up, which I have played before. I'm such about a on the huge show fan before. of Smash Up. And you love Smash Up, and I don't. And I still don't. What? Um, I don't like it. Uh, uh, you know, you know. okay, look, there's a mechanic. For the in, win. There, <laughs> there's, a, there's a mechanic in some games that we'll call it breaking the game mechanic. Right? And the idea is if everything breaks the game, then it doesn't break the game. Right. I hate that. <laughs> and really, in some ways, it's very similar to Elder Sign, in a way. In that, you know, you're there's these kind of bases that you're trying to deal with and things like that. Um, but there's also a competitive thing where you're trying to get more of your minions on the base, at least more value of minions than the other guy. Um, but all of these minions and all of these bases have rules that change the basic structure of the game and it ends up just like what is happening you know uh and so i played trickster pirates okay 
which, by the way, was not a good combo because I about half of the time I had no minions at all. <laughs> um, but the tricksters, at least, man, they really messed things up. Oh, tricksters! I mean, I mean, it's in the name. They're designed right. to just mess with your head. And so, yeah, you know, and, and it's just not my thing. I get why people would like it, uh, but not my thing at all. Uh, and then I played a little game called No Thanks. That's a, that's um, a name I've heard bantered around quite a bit, but I haven't played it. Right, and uh, it's a very small game. It's a it's a downloadable thing if you want it to be, or, or you can buy the game. We were playing a downloadable version. Uh, but basically, there are cards from one to thirty-five. Okay? okay, and each player at the beginning of the game randomly takes three cards out of the deck and hides them away. So you don't know how you don't know what cards those were. So we played with three people, so there was in the deck one through thirty-five minus nine random cards. Now you start off with fifteen chits, six, fifteen little markers. The markers are worth negative one point. The purpose of the game is to have the lowest score at the end of the game. So you flip over the top card. Let's say it's twenty. You look at the twenty and go, "Do it's your turn? Do you want to take it?" Well, no, that's a pretty high card if it's one to thirty-five, and I want the lowest score possible. So no thanks, I don't want it. I'm going to put one of my negative one chits on it. And we go around the table. The next guy, he doesn't want it, so he puts it on. And you keep going, and now you're looking at it and say, "Okay, well it's a twenty, but it's got ten chits on it." So maybe by the end of the game, that'll end up being a a good value transition. What really kind of makes it a game, though, is if you get a run of three cards, so let's say I had 20, 21, and 22, you only score the lowest card. Oh, wow. Elegant, fun. I could play that game like me and my wife, like Rummy, you know? Just like any night, forever, super fun. That's the kind of game I absolutely love. To me, it felt like Rummy, uh, like a, a take on Rummy, and uh, really enjoy that. Uh, it's a simple little stupid game, but that's the kind of thing I love. And so hmm. I think I'm probably going to pick that one up. Uh, I like it a whole lot. Yeah, there's there's definitely one. You, you mentioned it's a downloadable game. There's a downloadable game that I actually, when it comes out, uh, as an actual product, I, I got in on the Kickstarter, so I'm going to get it. Um, but they have it; the rules are fully downloadable, so you can really play test the heck out of it before that comes out. I, I can't wait till uh, Two Rooms and a Boom come out because, quite frankly, that might be my new favorite part new favorite party game of all time. Okay, have you never heard of Two Rooms and a Boom? I have not heard of this. Let me tell you about Two Rooms and a Boom. Basically, there's one. There's it literally takes place in. Well, it doesn't have to be two rooms, but it's if you have like one large room, it's two areas of the room. But you have two teams: the red team and the blue team. And I can't remember which one has the president, which one has the bomber. But basically, it, the the whole game lasts about fifteen minutes. But pretty much, rooms are switching back and forth. They're sending host, hostage exchanges back and forth. So the goal is, is that I think it's the blue team has the president. So the, the blue team wants to make sure that at the end of the game, the bomber is not in the same room with the president. Mm, I think I have heard of this. The red team wants to make sure that the bomber is in with the president. 
And so you're switching people back and forth, and you can choose to reveal or not reveal. You can reveal what color you are, but not what person you are. And it, you know, that in and of itself seems really, really fun and really, really ridiculous. But then you start adding in all the other people, kind of like Ultimate Werewolf. Like there's the basic yeah, I was people. Say, this is this is so Mike Perna. Oh my goodness, I can't I can't wait because one of the thi- one of the things that sold me like. Some of the extra people that go above and beyond was why I got on the Kickstarter. Because partly, I was like, you know what? I don't really have the money. I'm going to wait till this just comes out. I'm just going to wait till it comes out and buy it then. But then they started loading up all these special characters. And you started having things like the gray players, which are neither red team nor blue team. They have their own win conditions. Mm-hmm. Like Captain Ahab and Moby. What? <laughs> They don't care who wins and who or who lives and who dies as far as the president and the bomber. They just want to make sure the, their nemesis dies. Nice. You get things like Team Zombie, where when if you reveal with a guy who's on Team Zombie, he simply whispers to you, "You're now on Team Zombie." And if Team Zombie, if everyone that's left after the bomb goes off are Team Zombie, then Team Zombie wins. Nice. Like, there's all sorts of this craziness, and it, it's a 15 minute game, and I I can't wait until I get my hands on those cards. I I quite frankly can see myself never playing games like Werewolf or the Resistance ever again after two, two rooms and a boom. Because whoa, always, that is always, that's like always that's want to play it big time for Mr. Perna right there. Oh dude, no, I'm I'm hard I love I love me some werewolf. I love me some resistance. But <laughs> this this game just seems ridiculous in the best possible way. Nice. Well, speaking of things that you love, we okay. have something to talk about that we have been putting off for uh a month now. I think, give or take. And that is, we have a new doctor. Yeah, we do. And in between, we had John Hurt. I am. I, I, I'm looking forward to the new doctor. He's not pleased with the color of his kidneys, but I love him anyway. This is true. So are we? Uh, are we going to go ahead and just like spoiler land this? Okay, I, I think at this point, I, I think so. I mean, we we were waiting for you to get on it, and. You took your time getting on it, so I'm pretty confident that if you haven't watched it now... I would just like to say that in the future, when they give us a new Doctor, can they not do it at Christmas? <laughs> Don't you know people are busy? Because this is just not good timing. Uh, but uh, really, we didn't get much of a new Doctor, let's be honest. So, no, we said uh, goodbye the to vast The vast majority doctor. of the episode was, was goodbye to Matt Smith. Uh, and you have mentioned before that he is your favorite. He's quite possibly my favorite doctor, yeah. Doctor. And so what we have uh, in the the final part of this, this epic trilogy is the doctor going away. Yes. And we had major questions that needed to be answered. He had run out of regenerations. How was Stephen Moffat going to work that one out? I mean, he brought back Sherlock. How hard can it be to bring back the Doctor? That's true. But uh, we are, of course, we already knew who the Doctor was going to be, but we we didn't know how that regeneration was going to take place. Um, and uh, so we're going to go ahead and go into spoiler land to talk about how that happens. Uh, we start off with the Doctor and everybody else. <laughs> uh, 
hearing a message across space and time. And if you're a fan of Doctor Who, you know that when a message shows up across all of space and time, bad stuff's about to go down. Uh, There is a mystery planet. It is broadcasting this message. Uh, The Doctor is there. Everybody else is there. Santarans, Daleks, Cybermen, everybody uh, is here trying to figure out what this message means. Why is it there? Uh, They are all coming in fear, and uh, as is their want, their plan is just to blow the planet to smithereens. (laughs) Uh, Thankfully, the the, uh, church zooms in, and uh, her... Highness the uh, Popes seals the planet, protects the planet, and uh, we have our uh, setup. Can I just say that never never before in the history of existence has the phrase, why are you naked because I'm going to church, been so well received? (laughs) Right. Uh, So, uh, as it turns out... uh, the planet is Trenzalor. And uh, if you've watched the last few episodes of Doctor Who, you know that Trenzalor is uh, the graveyard, the, the grave planet of Doctor Who. Um, and so we found ourselves in a little bit of a quandary now, don't we? The Doctor has finally come to Trenzalor. We know he dies here. We know he is out of resurrections. What is going to happen. And uh, we end up having uh, a very fitting, I think, goodbye to the doctor. In a town called Christmas. In a town called Christmas. um, The doctor figures out that the only way to save the people of Christmas from this massive force uh, that is surrounding the planet um, is going to be to stay there. And uh, the reason why, again, spoilers, uh, our universal crack reappears. You might remember, uh, I don't even know, was it the first season? Of Matt Smith. Of Matt Smith. There is a crack in the universe. Found in Amy Pond's Uh, bedroom. Yes. And uh, it reappears, and the message is pulsing through this crack. It is... Parking back to the previous episode, it is from Gallifrey in another dimension or universe or something. And uh, basically, the Time Lords are calling out to the Doctor saying, Hey, Doctor, open the door. Let us back in to our universe. Well, this is a major dilemma for the Doctor. It is a dilemma he has faced many times in the past. Because whenever Daleks and Time Lords are in the same place, the whole universe generally gets its rear end kicked. (laughs) And he has this dilemma. Does he allow the Time Lords through, thus restarting the Time War? Uh, Does he allow the crack to be closed, which of course would require the planet to be destroyed, which of course would also require the town of Christmas with all the people there to be destroyed. And uh, they are waiting, the the, uh, Time Lords 
are waiting from word from the doctor. And of course, the word from the doctor is his name. Should he reveal his name to the crack, the Time Lords will know that it is the real doctor, the proper universe, and they will come through. Uh, and so here is our show, here is our dilemma, here is our setup. And the doctor does something that, frankly, I didn't expect. <laughs> he does nothing. He sits there. He sits there for hundreds and hundreds of years, fighting the occasional attacker, including the wood Cyberman, which I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but he uh, he continues to age. Um, and... Things happen. So what do you think? I only had one complaint about this episode. Now, granted... I, I had one major complaint. We're coming We're coming back to this episode after the Whovian fan rage. Because the internet exploded with Whovian fan rage after this episode. And some of it is valid complaining. Some of it is just fan... Okay. I have not heard any oh, of Oh, there this. was, yeah. I don't pay there attention. There were huge Whovian so fan fill me in. Here's, here's my big complaint about it. They did a two-hour episode in one hour. Basically, there was a lot of stuff that really didn't get developed. There was a lot of stuff that really, like, people show up, and then they're gone, and there's a relationship, but you don't know how it got there. And it, pretty much, they did a two-hour episode in one hour. And... There's some there's some blanks that had to you know that for me I I wish they would have done the two hour I wish that they would have filled in those blanks like I wish the church was in it more I I really do she kind of just the you know the Pope is there in the sky saying Doctor what are you doing and then that's it and then gone and then the craziness happens there and you don't know you you know I wanted to care about her but I kind of didn't because. We didn't see much of her. So that was my one complaint, was that they tried to do too much in too short a period. Otherwise, I really, I enjoyed the heck out of it. I really did. I I can't even cite examples, because like it was just pure joy for most of that for me. I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, I would say that the one thing that bothered me is that River was not in the show. Okay. Uh, it seemed to me like she would be there. You know, if the whole universe has descended on Trenzalore. How does River not yeah, descend on how Trenzalore? Yeah, we not have River song? Yeah. That, that's a little weird. That said, uh, I, I did like, you know, the whole kind of, I'm, to stay in one place is the ultimate sacrifice for the Doctor. Yes. Dying is dying, and nobody wants to die, especially the Doctor, because, you know, he... He uh, he believes that this is his last death, right? And so for him to stay in one place, knowing that he doesn't come back, that he's just going to grow old and just be done, that's a huge uh, commitment from the doctor, way beyond what you know. Normally, he runs in, saves the day, and then leaves, right? Um, and so I, I thought that was really good. I liked uh, that. Essentially, the doctor dies. Of old age. And I think that's appropriate. You know, he's not killed like all the other doctors have been. Uh, you know, he doesn't even sacrifice himself like some of the doctors have. Right. He just dies of old age, in a way. 
kind of not. And in fact, uh, the bottom line is, is that the Tenth Doctor, or the uh, the Twelfth Doctor, the, I'm confused by uh, the recent episode. Don't, yeah, just, just, just stick with Eleven. But, you're, by, you're better uh, off. Matt Smith's Doctor. Right. Doesn't really die. Uh, he phoenixes, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, the Time Lords, in a very un-Time Lordy kind of a way, <laughs> uh, which I thought was a little weird, but uh, recognize the value of the Doctor, how important it is for the, there to be a Time Lord in our universe, and grant him a new set of resurrections. So we're up to twenty. We're we got we're clear till we're good for another fifty years of Doctor. Yes, um, and uh, so he kind of phoenixes and becomes the uh, Peter Capaldi version. Yes, uh, Doctor Thirteen Nay One. Right, uh, and we only get a few seconds of him uh, doing what the Doctor does when he shows up, which is generally running around the TARDIS and uh, eating. Um, odd foods and finding a new outfit. And again, uh, declaring that he has kidneys and that they, he doesn't like the color of them. This is true. <laughs> uh, and uh, so there we are. We are set up. Uh, Jenna Coleman's still around. Yep. So we'll have our transition uh, into we won't be dealing with a new doctor and a new companion. Uh, I don't think. No, uh, they did that when when uh, David Tennant happened. Rose went they did. from Christopher right. Eccleston Ro- to Rose, David Tennant. Rose stuck around. And uh, it looks like... Um, uh, mental blank. What's the name of the character? I know Clara. her real name, but... Clara uh, Oswind Oswald uh, <laughs> is sticking around. And uh, so we'll continue on. I-, I liked it. I'm okay with it. We'll see what the new guy's like. Yeah, I think that's going to be... It's going to be a big... Thing, I think it's going to well, be. I'll different. tell you, he was very Doctor Who ish in the thirty seconds he was on screen. Right. Well, and I'm curious to see what he does with Doctor Who because he can't pull off Matt Smith Doctor Who. No. And and really, I, I that right there is my favorite part of Doctor Who because one thing that that everybody kept saying was uh, the reason that you know Stephen Moffat ruined it with with what he did with this last couple seasons because they they cited the fact that. He's, he was kind of goofy in this one. For me, that's ca- kind of why I think he's my favorite. See, I think it was perfectly reasonable what they've done. Okay, so... Oh, I do, too. We're, we're gonna, I, I, I'm going to go hardcore here, all right? Let's get in there, and if you're not a pretty serious Doctor Who fan... Sorry. Um, <laughs> we start off with... Uh, golly, it's starting to get hard to do the math. Doctor Ten, <laughs> um, no, he's Doctor Ten, knee eleven. Uh, okay, um, and he is dark. He is angry. Oh, he's downright pissed. And it makes good sense. He just ended the time war. He just did the most horrible thing ever. But it's not the you know so much so that it turns out. There was another version of him in there, and we didn't even know about it because he was so bad. Right. Okay? He is anger. And then, and, and you know, he burns out quickly. Now, of course, there was real life reasons for that, but it works for the story as well. And then we get into David Tennant. And David Tennant is, I believe, the most complex doctor out of all of them. 
uh, he has this this simmering anger, but he doesn't have. It's not quite as present as it was for uh, what's his name, Christopher uh, Eccleston. Eccleston, thank you. Boy, I'm having a hard time with names today. <laughs> uh, he begins to love and to connect again in ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of uh, Christopher Eccleston kind of did with Rose, but but that was such a hard. All of his relationships were so hard, but the heart begins to come back in David Tennant's Doctor, but but it's tempered with all of this pain. And to me, what Matt Smith's doctor is, is the doctor that says, I don't want to even think about the pain anymore. Right. I'm done with that. And that was a lot of people's complaint, was that he didn't right. He didn't show that. I'm like, but exactly. The, He's running from end, it. What they did at the end, these last three episodes, it brought it back. It literally brought it back by bringing in John Hurt and David Tennant to say, all three of these guys together have to face this problem. Oh, I, I love they when They have to when face Tenet, their history. I love when Tennant basically accused Matt Smith's doctor of being like, how dare you forget this? Right, exactly. And so it brought him back into, what did I do? And then with the final decision of his life, having to echo the 10th ten- doctor's decision of, do I allow now the Time Lords back. Because let's be honest, if he allowed the Time Lords back in, he wouldn't have died. He would have become incredibly powerful. But he decides not to do that. And to allow his life to come to this natural end. It turns out that it's not the end. But he doesn't know that while he's doing it. I think it was a really solid story arc throughout the lives of the Doctor. Now, I'm going to say, new Doctor, I have no idea what they're going to do with him. I have a funny feeling we're going to get back to the, the older, not not mean, but just kind of grumpy. I do too. <laughs> I think we are really resetting. If, if Doctors 10, 11, and 12 were a story arc, I think that story arc has essentially come to a close. Yeah, I think we're going to get much more of a, of a heart and old Doctor. I do too. Um, and I think that we're going to probably start to see more development, uh, and more is not the right word, but deeper development of the Companions. Um, though they've done a lot of development on the Companions over the last couple of Doctors. Um, oh yeah. But I think the Companions are going to become more important. I think we're probably going to see, this is just my guess, but I think we're probably going to see the Doctor connecting more with our like oh, civil authority know. kind of thing, you know, um, back in the ways that they had they did in the uh, maybe what seventies I think it was, uh, you know, when the Doctor is kind of working with the government and and things like that. I would not be surprised if that comes back. Um, I think we're gonna just get an older style Doctor Who, but I could be totally wrong. You just never know. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Moffat's pretty crazy. He really is. <laughs> yeah, He's a crazy, I mean, crazy genius. Yeah, if you guys have, I don't know if you're Sherlock fans out there, but 
This season of Sherlock blows the mind. <laughs> blows the mind. Uh, the the second episode of Sherlock this season, uh, the sign of the three, is awesome. And then the third episode is like, oh my goodness! Did not the I have it on my DVR waiting for me. Um. Yeah, and you know, okay. Talk about spoilers. Ooh, boy, spoilers! You can't talk about that one. That ain't right. You gotta let people watch that. <laughs> uh, that final episode of the season this year, and uh, I forget I forget what it's called, but uh, the the third episode of the third season. Oh my goodness! Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers! There's so much that comes in there. So, uh, Ben Suvim Moffat, man, he's just nuts. Uh, by the way, I totally didn't realize that the other writer for Sherlock is Mycroft. Really? I totally didn't know that. I didn't know that either. That's genius. I love it. <laughs> That's crazy. Anyway, so there's not a show about Sherlock. But uh, but if you like Doctor Who, there's a good chance that you'll like Sherlock. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I, I will, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what they do with, uh, with Doctor Who. Um, and, you know, we'll find out. And I'm sure that we'll kind of grumble for the first few episodes and then we'll love him. Because that's what they do. <laughs> that's usually how it happens. <laughs> well, we actually we actually had a conversation about that at lunch. And uh, we were talking about... Because we're a bunch of geeks at my lunch table at work. Basically, the table consists mostly of a bunch of people I've known since we were all working at Borders together, the bookstore that now no longer is. And, and one guy who I met because he runs the Steampunk World's Fair. He's one of the guys who runs the Steampunk World's Fair. And so we're all just sitting there at the lunch table and we're, we're talking about the fact that, that if there's one thing that ruins cool geeky stuff in the world, it's the fandom. Because what happens is that we, we pretty much tracked the arc of fandom. All right. The arc of fandom starts off small. Hey, look at this really neat thing. I want to tell other people about this really neat thing. Then it gets to be pretty strong. Now the fandom has a name, and the fans really, really love it with an intense, passionate love. And then it crests the top of that wave, and it starts becoming, you're not really a fan of this unless you do A, B, C, and D. Or, you know... Back in my day, when I started mm-hmm. watching this, it was way better than what you're into right now. So-and-so ruined the series. I've been there. I've done that. And, and and we can track it for everything. And now, granted, I consider myself a pretty substantial fanboy in a number of different fandoms. But I really get sick and tired when it comes to... The, I, I usually don't even get to the top of the wave, let alone crest it into the into the downfall. I just kind of ride the wave and hope it comes back up at the end. But like, uh, we particularly did it. We, we tracked it with steampunk. It started off as this kind of neat thing that a couple people were doing. Then we started getting conventions and it became more and more of a thing. And then we started seeing like Justin Bieber and hot topic. And all of a sudden you get people saying, Oh, those aren't real steampunks. Those, those people have no business being here. And there's, you know, there are certain, you know, authors and everything that, that kind of poo-poo other authors by saying they're not really, they're not good enough to be with us. And thankfully with that fandom, there's, you know, been this kind of, I, I just, 
I think the rest of us have just kind of dealt with that. We've let those people get rid of themselves and now we're we're back to having fun with it. But I think I think that happens with who because with the with the doctor, like I said, you know, you start off wherever you start on the Doctor Who train, like, oh yeah, this is fantastic. Oh man, I'm totally a Whovian. Wait, who's this guy, Christopher Eccleston? He's not real. Wait, who's this who who's Stephen Moffat? He ruined the season. He really ruined the series. You know, Matt Smith is the worst doctor ever until he leaves and then he's the best doctor. <laughs> um I don't know. I'm I'm really excited to see what happens and and I kind of hope that the fan base realizes they're being silly when we talk about what Stephen Moffat has done and kind of just kind of look back on it with less of a not in my backyard, you know, my when it was back in my day it was better kind of attitude and really start looking to 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 find its place, you know what I mean? Yeah, I really do. And, uh, you know, we, we tend to, it's about the time to make the, the spiritual shift. And, and I think you could totally talk about the church in the in that same framework that you did. Or, or rather, you can probably more talk about church movements in, uh, in that same kind of a way. Uh, but I, I think what's more important than that is, is our own perspective, how we fit in uh, to that process. And, uh, you know, what it really comes down to, now, don't get me wrong, it, it, when an author kills off your favorite character, when the show that you love gets canceled, that sucks. Yes. Okay? It really does. Or George R.R. R. Martin, you've ruined my life. <laughs> when, uh, 12 times over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, or when a, a new writer comes onto a show and it's not very good anymore, that sucks. But I think there's a deeper issue here, and that is, you know, you talked about like the Justin Bieber kind of steampunks, right? What do we care if Justin Bieber fans like steampunk? Who cares? I, I it doesn't mean didn't. you have to like Justin Bieber. Oh, it's none of your business. <laughs> for future reference, like. if if my liking of Justin Bieber has is a requirement for me to get into a fandom, then it's not worth being part of that fandom. <laughs> but but who cares? You know, uh, I, I'll use a parallel, and this is a very highly controversial topic, and people won't like it, and I'm sorry. But yeah, well, everybody, who, hate mail. everybody who knows me knows I love Duck Dynasty. I love it. Love these guys. And well, you, a couple you are a redneck yourself. Well, yeah, I'm like a West Coast redneck. We're slightly different. But, uh, <laughs> a city-fied redneck. Uh... uh uh, but a couple, maybe a month ago, there was a lot of controversy with Phil Robertson. Yes, there was. Here's what I have to say. What do you care what he thinks? If you don't like what he thinks, fine. Don't like what he thinks. Don't watch his show. But if you don't like what he thinks, too bad. <laughs> he got a right to think it. They've got a right to live how he wants to live. People have a right to enjoy what they want to enjoy. We don't have to all be the same. We don't have to tell people, if you're not like us, you're bad. You just say, you're not like us. That's your business. And maybe I don't want to hang out with you, and that's cool, but it's none of our business what other people do. I don't understand why our culture can't get that through their heads these days. You know, and I I think a lot of it is because we have such extensive social media and such extensive uh, 
opportunities to comment on others' lives. You know, but for me, I really do think, unless they're like your brother in faith, right? Unless there's somebody you really care about and you know, you don't have any place in the world commenting on their life. You know, whether it's something as silly as what things they're into or something more profound in terms of what they believe or how they live. It's just none of our business. And especially, I think, as geeks... Uh, who are very into the whole social media comment on everything vibe, we want to have an opinion on everything. And I just don't think it's necessary. I mean, you can have your opinion, but you don't need to state it. And certainly you don't need to think that everybody has to agree with it. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I've often said, and we were, we cited it here, and I even repeated the, the quote here, I think that Matt Smith is my favorite doctor. There are Whovians who will rage that I said that absolutely rage and they will, they will call for my head on a pike because I do not bow to the temple of Tennant. At no point will I ever say, I don't like David Tennant. I think he was a fantastic doctor. I love everything that man did, which is why I was super excited when they actually broke the rules and said, here you go. Both of them are in the same timeline now. Right. I love that. But you know, and likewise, there are people who would say that would agree with me in the fact that they love Matt Smith, but they'll you know trash some other who. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a fan of the Doctor. I'm a fan of the Doctor since he was a grumpy old man with a, with a niece, and a, he was a professor. I was when he had a giant scarf. I was a fan when he had the the cane with the question mark. I, I was a fan when he wore vegetables as you know accessories. <laughs> I've I've been a fan of the Doctor since the beginning, and I think I'm probably going to link this article when I when I post this. There was an article somebody that somebody recently uh, wrote up. It was a blog post, and I don't remember the exact link. Like I said, uh, if you look at the description, that I will put it in the description. She calls herself uh, the world's worst missionary, like Jamie <laughs> Jamie, the world's worst missionary, and. Um, the big thing was was talking about the way people treat each other on the internet and the way we talk we just must shove opinion down throat and really the whole article it, it it pretty much sang to me because so much of it is just absolutely coming down on this this idea that because I'm anonymous I get to say what I want and so I'm going to make sure that that you know that that I'm smarter than you and I'm better than you and my opinion matters that more now. than you. Because we we got used to this period of anonymity and saying whatever we wanted to say and now even when we're not anonymous people are still acting the same way. Now look, I want to make my position clear here. Okay? I don't think that you shouldn't have opinions. You have your opinion. I have my opinion. I like David Tennant. You like Matt Smith. We can have a great discussion, even an argument about which is the better doctor. Now, the reason we can have that argument is a couple of, a couple of fold. One is because you and I already have a relationship, and so we're doing it within an established framework. And two, it's because we follow Wheaton's law. <laughs> okay? But if I was to decry your existence, your ideas, because you disagree with me, 
That's ridiculous. Right. Okay. And I, I'm going to say that's sinful. Okay. Look, whether you're talking about the doctor, whether you're talking about, uh, you know, who should baptize whom in the church and on what way that baptism should happen. And yes, I have a friend who's having that conversation right now within their church. Or what kind of music you should have. Or, or whether one thing is acceptable or not. Uh, for a Christian to do, you, you can have those opinions, you can have those discussions, but the second you decide to just start blanketing a person or a group of people and saying they're horrible and wrong and evil because they disagree with me, you've crossed over into sin. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time on the internets, we do it all the time in geekdom, we do it all the time in the church. Maybe we ought to take a step back and realize that it doesn't matter whether it's in real life or on social media, that's just not an appropriate way to behave. It's not kind. And that it's also not necessary, and also it's not useful. So why are we doing it? Right. So I, I do want to kind of, I want to bring back this article because I, I love it so much. Um, there are two quotes that particularly stand out to me. And you know, every time I read them, they seem, they, they're just more and more true in my mind. Here we go. Somewhere along the line, we decided that our opinions were more important than the things that brought us to them. In truth, I don't care about your opinion. For real, I do not care. But your story, yes, please. Your story sways me, moves me. Your story changes me. I, I love that line. I love that line. Um... In fact, it, it, it's very similar to something that, that I said a while ago, because we were talking, especially in, in light of the whole Phil Robertson thing, in light of, you know, there's a bunch of, of uh, places and people I can cite recently where basically people are breaking Wheaton's law for, in, the, in the name of Jesus. And it upsets me when people do that, because I... I'm really tired of people not being kind. You know what I mean? Mm. And I'm really tired of people, even even if you're saying things that are, are true or not true or whatever, I'm really tired of people not being kind about it. And I've often said that the way to to really know somebody to really understand where they're coming from, to even if you completely disagree with them, even if you think they're being a terrible person, if you find their story, if you get to the root of that, even if you don't agree with them, you can understand them. Even if you, you think they're terrible people, you can come away from it, and, and you can come away from it honestly caring about them. Like, I, I'm the first one to say that I, I, in a way, I agree with Phil Robertson as, as far as I call sin, sin. What, you know, what the Bible calls sin, I call sin. But here's the deal. I think he broke Wheaton's law in the way he said it. I, I think right. he was a dick when he said it, the way he said it. Now, does that mean that I hate that man for, for being a jerk? No, I don't. Do I think that he should be raised up as a champion of all things Christianity? No, I don't. But I know that man, as far as what's been brought forth from interviews and stuff like that, um, I've listened to his story, and I understand where he comes from. And I like it, and I don't like it, and you know what? He's a person. I've, I've seen ups and downs 
and I see where he comes from. I think, I think part of the thing that we have to realize as we, whether it's stupid stuff like the state of Doctor Who or, you know, the, 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 any, you know, name, vid, you know, video games, board games, oh my goodness, role-playing systems. If I hear one more person talk about which D&D version is the best, I'm going to smack them. I think we really just have to remember that if any of us, before any of us try to say, this is sin, and this is godliness, and this is righteousness, and this is folly, before we try to do any of that, the first thing we need to do is to be kind. Because if we're not kind... In the truest, deepest sense of that word, our point is meaningless. And I want to come back to one more quote from this this blog post from, I, I did misspeak a little bit. It's Jamie, the very worst missionary. And it says, uh, go ahead, say anything, but know this. A computer screen may make you brave, but it does not make you smart. And a keyboard may make you free, but it does not make you right. You know what? When, when all is said and done, I, I think if Phil Robertson said that, you know, most people wouldn't care. They'd be like, oh, he's just a redneck jerk, you know, whatever. I think if Phil Robertson said it in a way that, well, y'all, y'all heard the quotes. <laughs> if you haven't, you know, praise God and move on with your lives because you are in a very happier place than I am. But we, especially those of us who claim Christ, need to spend more time and energy on focusing on being kind than being right. Not to, not to avoid accuracy, but to make sure that people understand that that accuracy comes from a place. That the things we say are not to be mean or to put others down, but because God himself told us that we're not trying to make you better for our sake but we're trying to show you who God is and to say, to, to start naming sin without showing the love of God, we're doing it wrong. I think, uh, you know, that's a, a good way to wrap up the show this week. Uh, Mike, we, we have a new way that people can find out how to contact us. You have us. no idea how much I am looking forward to saying, rather than putting the extra long, super ridiculous, this is all the 18 bazillion ways to find us, I can tell you people this. If you go to inroadsministries.com and click on contact, you'll find all the ways you can get in touch with us. Awesome. That's so much nicer than reiterating all of them. Very good. So, folks, I uh, just encourage you to do that. Thank you so much for listening, for being a part of both Game Store Profits and Inroads Ministries. And remember that God is the Game Master. And no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.